Good morning to you all. I guess I can take my mask off now. Sorry. It's become something like second nature to me. Maybe I'm just trying to make my face look better. It's amazing, isn't it, how these masks actually do obscure... You know, we used to make fun of the comic book characters, you know, who would really be fooled by a mask. But I was with my son... Uh, registering him at school the other day, and somebody waved hi, and we were saying, who was that? We don't know. They've got a mask on. It's the old, uh, the old adage about, uh, who was it? The Lone Ranger. Who was that masked man? Well, this masked man is unmasked before you now, and he is happy to be with you now. Uh, for any guests that are with us and are thinking, who's this dude? I haven't seen him around in the last couple of weeks. I'm Courtney Hall, and I'm very blessed to be the lead pastor here at PCF. And I'm so very, very grateful to the extraordinary team of pastors that I get to partner with and, um, and other pastors uh, in our region who are so faithfully serving their flock and leading together in the body of Christ. And I want to call out with a particular appreciation to Pastor Henji, who ably managed things uh, so graciously and wisely and uh, full of the spirit, as he always does here during my absence, uh, to Pastor Ron Younger. Uh, and to Pastor Leo Medeja, who preached over the last couple of weeks and brought such uh, vital and um, blessed messages to us. And I want to thank you, all of you, for your prayers for my family and I as we were traveling. We had a wonderful time of respite, of refreshing. Uh, we saw the beauty of God's creation in fresh ways that filled our soul and had many encounters with the Lord in the time that we were uh, afforded to be able to just get away with him. In fact, there's really a whole message that was born out of that. I'll bet you're not surprised. Uh, for me, the very first morning that I awoke away from home, it took us a couple of days to drive up to the Pacific Northwest, which was um, a challenge in its own way, as you can imagine, even as Pastor Henji was mentioning, there's so many ways in which our communities and society is challenged, and traveling through it at this time is uh, requires certain kinds of cautions and preparations and enlightened us to certain realities uh, that were uh, sobering, I shall say. But in any case, uh, that very first morning when I woke up, we were still on the road. We were only about halfway there. And as I went out to walk and um, listen to the scriptures and listen to and engage in worship music, I encountered the Lord. I encountered the presence of the Lord. And I'll share more about that with you because as I heard from the Lord that day, I knew that he was, as he always does, speaking not only to me but to our whole community. By the way, you might think, uh, maybe, maybe your guest or somebody's brought you to this message or you're with us live or hearing a recording and you're thinking, well, what does that guy mean when he says, I heard from the Lord? Was there suddenly lightning and thunder and God saying, Courtney... That didn't happen. I'm sure God is well capable of doing it, but that's not how I heard from him. But I'll bet that you can relate to what I'm talking about, that when you and I put our focus on God, when we attend to the inner sense of our creator and to the outer witness of the beauty of a world around us, and it can be done in something as simple as walking through a park like I was doing that day and hearing the birds who aren't troubled by what's going on right now, even though they are susceptible to it too, I suppose. Seeing the plants growing and the trees green and hearing water running and remembering that there's a maker of all those things. And he's the maker of me too. And he's with me. And he cares about me. 
Well, even just in becoming aware of that, don't you begin to hear something from him, feel something of him? If you don't, I want to invite you to know that you can, that you can sense the Lord. You can hear from him because he desires that you would be aware of him. He desires that you would hear from him. He desires that you would know and do his will. And so that's how I heard from him. That inner voice, that emotional experience, that spiritual discernment, and also the blessing and benefit of his word, which, though I do not know it all, though I've read it all many times over, and you can do that too, and I encourage you to do that incrementally to be sure, in knowing his word, you and I can come to know him because his word is active and alive. And as that word becomes planted in us as seed and watered by the flow of his spirit, it brings forth the fruit of awareness, awareness of what God is saying. And in that experience, there were some things that God has shared with us that I think will be helpful for us in the season ahead. But before I speak further about that, because I say that is a message for a future time, I also want to say that much of what I've just shared is utterly re relevant to the message that I have for us today, which is about the blessings of obedience. Because really, that's what obedience is all about. It's about walking with the Lord. It's interesting that uh, Pastor Henji just shared what he did, because it's uh, actually a perfect parallel to the story that I'm going to begin my sermon with today. He had no knowledge of that, and I had no knowledge of what he was going to share, but the Lord has knowledge of us both, and the Lord knows what he's saying today. The Lord wants to speak to us today. Hallelujah. I hope you can say with me, I'm glad. Will you say that? Just say it out loud, wherever you are. I'm glad that God wants to speak to me today. I'm glad of that, aren't you? Hallelujah. And I'm glad that he enables me to hear him. Now, let that desire on your part blossom into a prayer in just a moment, because we're going to pray as we open this word that our heart would be opened to him. I also want to mention, though, just a couple of practical notes before I get into that. One is, um, in my joy of returning here and being with you again in this service and uh, our midweek gatherings and so forth, I also want to remind those who are part of the PSOM class, that we will be resuming for our final session today in the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John. So at 1 p.m. Pacific time today, uh, that's Sunday, August 2nd, we will be um, resuming for our final session. So please be sure to be a part of that. I'm looking forward to that. And if you're in the class, you should have the Zoom information already, but if not, you can contact me. By the way, in two weeks from today, I'm gonna to be starting a new PSOM class, once again, online. So it's really convenient to be able to participate on Zoom because you can be anywhere as long as you've got access to the internet through your phone or a laptop or a tablet. Uh, Zoom is free. It's an app that's available to anyone who desires to download it so you can access the class that way. There is a fee, of course, for the class. There's a reduced fee if you just want to audit and there's no assignments required. Uh, or if you want to take the class for credit and be part of our official PSOM student body, you can do that well for uh, a slightly higher minimal fee. These classes are very affordable, and if, if the cost is the only thing that is keeping you from be, uh, being part of it, contact us. We can help you with that. We have resources available to help those who have a legitimate desire to take the class and a, le a legitimate hardship uh, to cover the fee. 
Um, but we thank you that for most folks, that fee will be very, um, very easy uh, to, to cover. The classes are six weeks long. And I'm going to be starting a new series of classes in two weeks that are all going to come under the title, the rubric of the fundamentals of faith. Now get ready, this is going to be a corny kind of pastor thing, but come have fun learning about the fundamentals of faith. It will be fun. It'll be, it'll be uh, challenging in the best sense. It will be invigorating, but it'll be fun too. Hey, if you're part of the classes, you know, so spread the word. We have fun. We have a good time. And we also really get charged up and energized, not only by our reading of the word together and our talking about the things of the Lord, his ways and his will and his purposes, but also by sharpening one another. It's part of our life of being the body. And if the only place that you're getting sharpened and filled is on a, on a Sunday service, then I want to encourage you to branch out as a believer and get more of the influx of what God wants to pour into you in order to flow through you to other people. Pastor Hingey and I were talking earlier this week about how in this season it's difficult to, in a way, invite people to church when churches are, for the moment, like ours, uh, online only, for instance. But in another way, you can definitely make that invitation because anybody who has access to the internet can stream with us. And we do believe by faith, and our prayer is going to this point, that there'll be a time when we're gathering physically, publicly here in this building again. But you know, the idea of inviting people to church is maybe a little bit off the mark anyway. Bear with me. I have a point to make. Maybe you see it coming. Because we don't need to invite people to the church when we are the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're carrying Christ with you wherever you go. And that means that in your daily life, in your workplace, whether you're working from home or you're out in the world in these days, you're likely interacting with other people, even if you're out of work at the moment. And God bless you if you are. You're part of our prayers, and we are counting in faith upon the Lord to provide for you, and we know he is faithful to do that. Nevertheless, you probably have neighbors that you interact with, family members, People may be even distant from you, but that you're in touch with and they're going through their own challenges in this season and you can be a witness of Christ to them. PSOM exists to help equip you for that just as much as these weekly services do. And in every uh, aspect of who we are as PCF, we are a people who are focused on being filled by the Spirit to be sent by the Spirit with the word of the Lord for the blessing of the world. Say amen to that if you agree. Amen. So, I encourage you to learn more about our PSOM offerings. Uh, there'll be more information on the website in the coming weeks. I'll be talking in future uh, services about that. And thank you so much once again for continuing your giving to PCF, either online uh, at mypcf.org. You can go to the Give page. You can uh, go to our Donate um, page on the website, and you can give safely and securely online, or you can mail your offerings in uh, to 22. 35 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90057. That is the PCFLA address. You can find it on our website as well. And we thank you for your faithful giving and remind you that it's through your giving that the Lord uh, resources this body for the work of the kingdom that he has called us to. What a privilege it is to get to be able to be with you in this way on this morning. Thank you for streaming live with us. For those of you who are, through various platforms. Thank you for those who watch the recording later and share the word. And I trust that today's message 
will be relevant to you. So let's come to the word of the Lord and let's open our hearts as we open the word. If you've got your Bible there with you, and I always encourage you to do that, whether it's physical or even if it's just on your phone, you can open to the book of Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that this morning you have ordained a time and a place where each one of us are, or even at a time other than this morning, for those who may be participating via a recording or reading these words at some future time. You nevertheless are in that place, in that time, with each one of us, because you are alive in your word that we look to today, and you are alive on your throne that we worship at every day. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be alive in our hearts. We ask that you would open our hearts. For any, Lord, that are just testing the waters today, they're part of our service or listening to this message, somehow engaging with the message, but they're not sure that they belong to you, not sure that they even believe in you, I pray that you would open their hearts today, Lord. Open it to that deep place of availability and access so that they might be blessed with life, with health, with peace, with purpose, with life everlasting and your love. For those of us who know you and are committed to you, Lord, I ask that as we open our hearts to you, you would excavate us, Lord, bringing out the reminder within us of who we are in you, to whom we belong, and what you've made us for, cleansing us of sin and giving us strength, Lord, to follow your ways. For we desire to live in obedience to you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. A long time ago, back in the days when there were still much open country and much that had not been developed. Back in the days of pioneers, there was a father and son. They had come out as a family, and they had come in a group. But as journeys were at that time, their journey was a difficult one. And many didn't make it all the way, including the father's wife, the mother to the son. It was a sad loss. They grieved, but they had faith, and they continued on. And so it was that the group, small, finally arrived at a place where a village could be founded, but there were wonderful lands surrounding that were readily usable as farmland. And the father and his son went out even further on that frontier to find a plot of land, to make their little cabin home. And there, that father raised his son until the son had grown to be the age of 13 years old. And it was at that time that the father began to realize that his son, who was well-trained in sustaining themselves off of the land, doing the work, uh, protecting themselves, there were wild animals about and so forth, nevertheless, the son needed more interaction. He determined that he would send his son to the village. His son had been to the village before infrequently as he had aged, but always with his father. And now the father realized, I must send my son alone so that he can become a man so that he can know, because someday I'll be gone and he'll be living here, and he'll need to know how to get to the village. He'll need to find a wife as well, and he will need to know how to fend for himself and to transit across the land. 
And so it was that the father took his son and explained this journey to him and showed him the path that had been batted down by their feet over the years. But this path was still unfamiliar to the boy. And though he could see it, you know how a trail goes arching over the hills, he couldn't see its end. He could only see where it began. But the boy knew enough to know where the village was. And the village and the trail seemed to be in opposite directions. For though the boy could not see the village, it was too far away, he knew that it was in this direction, facing the trail to his left. But the trail itself seemed to go off to the right and widely diverge. And so the boy began to be concerned. What would he find on that trail? Would it actually get him to the village? How would he know how to proceed if he couldn't see the end from the beginning? And what dangers might lay along the way? Was he really ready for them? He wanted so much for his father to come with him. But his father said, the whole purpose of you making the journey is for you to learn how to make it on your own. But I've given you the directions and the guidance. And I've shown you the way. Just trust me and follow it. But the boy said, Father, if I look to where the trail goes, I can't see it leading to the village. And so the father came and stood beside his son and said, Do you see that large tree rising on the horizon? And indeed, there was a massive oak tree that stood so tall in the land that from any point along this trail, the boy would be able to see it leading up to it and even going further past it. And his father said, That tree, that's about halfway down. By the time you reach that tree, you'll be able to see how the trail comes back around. The boy said, why should it go off in such a, a different direction? And the father said, there are obstacles and hindrances and dangers in the land that you don't know about that the trail avoids. If you stay on the trail, you'll avoid those things, but stay on the trail, because if you go off of it, you'll end up in those pitfalls. But by the time you reach the tree, you'll be able to see the village where you are headed. The tree will be a guide to you. And so it was that the boy followed the path. And as time went on, and the light grew dimmer, as the day drew to a close, and the sound of his father hailing him farewell behind him faded away, and even the sight of his father, a small silhouette on the horizon, disappeared, all that the boy could see in the dimming light was the trail that seemed to be going in the wrong direction, and the tree that stood as a guide to him. And the boy had to decide what you and I have to decide. Will we trust the words of the Father? Will we look to the tree? Will we stay on the path? That's the story of obedience. And you and I, we don't really wonder how the story ends because you can tell from the way it began that this is a good father who knows the path, who's been down at himself, and who loves his son and won't fail to lead his child in the right direction. Of course, you can understand that this story, not real, is nevertheless a true story of the real relationship that you and I have with the Lord. And the path is God's word, which shows us a way through the pitfalls and dangers. But sometimes the path seems to be leading in the other direction. Sometimes the path isn't clear. Sometimes it seems to us that the path may be the wrong way. But the word of the Lord reminds us 
that we have a faithful Father. And the tree that we look to is the tree on which Jesus Christ hung. It is the tree of life, which is he himself, Christ himself, who has shown us the path, who went ahead of us, and even now, by his Spirit, beckons us on, so that we are not just following words, but a, a living way. And by that spirit, you and I are enabled to obey because there is something that our Father in heaven is able to do that that Father out on the frontier couldn't do. And it's what Pastor Henji mentioned earlier. He is able to be with us every step of the way, like a father and child, every step of the way. Even when you can't see him, he's there. And in his presence is peace. In his presence is guidance. In his presence is fullness of joy. His presence is the kingdom. His presence is heaven. Not just some future far off place, but a present experience of God's presence with us and his promises to us and his, his help because we all stumble off of the path. We all go astray. We all lose the light. We all sometimes... Um, you know, actively disobey. We have those times when we see something that we would prefer to pursue ourselves. We have those times when we ignore the voice of the Father because we don't want to hear what he has to say because we don't want to have to abide by it. And our faithful Father is loving enough to discipline us back onto the path if we are willing to accept it. The one thing that God won't do is he won't force us to follow him. There is a choice involved, and that choice is what obedience is all about. This morning, as we sang in worship, we sang about a desire that we would be consumed with God, that everything we are would be focused on him. That's obedience. It's not the perfect stepping in the pathway perfectly every time. That actually cannot produce obedience. That's what I'm going to talk about today. It doesn't mean that we cease trying to follow the Lord, but it means that following the Lord is about something other than trying to perfect our pathway in Him. It is really about a heart that hews to Him, a heart that hangs on Him, a heart that looks to Him in recognition of our need. It means remembering that we are a child on the path, no matter how old we are. In fact, today's passage in Joshua chapter 4 deals with a man who's 85 years old. Now, that's, that's uh, pretty advanced in years. A man of wisdom who's seen a lot of things by the time he's 85. But that man, Caleb, knows something that every faithful follower of the Lord needs to learn and remember, which is no matter how old we grow, we are always a child of the king. We are always a child in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus said that it is of children that the kingdom is composed. And what he means by that is that we have a childlike trust in God, born of a childlike awareness of our need. And when we have those things, that humility that recognizes I need God and the faith that says I believe God, that's a heart of obedience. And God will bless, not just as a reward in some abstract sense, he will bless personally because when we do that, we align with him. There's something in navigation called leading lights. If you are piloting a boat, or you're piloting 
an airplane, neither of which I am qualified to do. So I'm speaking not from experience, but from some minor study, although we did spend time out on a boat on Puget Sound two weeks ago today, and what a wonderful time it was. And I was reminded of how, uh, how very beautiful it is to be out on the water, but also how very necessary it is to know what you're doing, because the beauty of that environment does not deny the danger of it as well. And one wrong move, one wrong step, can take you down under the waves, just like a plane can fall from the sky. That's why it's important to know not only what you are doing and how to do it, but who to look for for help. Nobody worth their salt, I suppose they say, as a sailor, or worth their wings as a pilot, ever goes out onto the waters or into the air without having guidance. Someone who you can turn to and say, I need assistance. Leading lights are, let me see if I can use this, is not a very good, oh, I'll use my cell phone, how about that? Are those lights that you sometimes see illuminated on the horizon, near waters or, or uh, around airports, and they'll be two, one in a higher level and one in a lower level, and they have a, an arrangement by which if you are properly directed toward a channel, if there's dangers on either side or you're going off track on either way, if you are properly in the path of that boat or that airplane, the lights will line up so that they become one, one light aligned. But if those lines are not aligned, then you know you're not aligned. Now the lights don't move, it's you that moves. You move to the place where those points come together, and then you know that you are going to have a safe journey. And that's the blessing of obedience. The word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the people of the Lord, the body of Christ, all these are separate things in a sense that are aligned as one. So that when these things line up, and the spirit and the word agree, and the people of God agree, and there is unity, it's a guideline for you and I that we're aligned with the Lord. If my life doesn't line up with the word, it's not the word that I need to move. It's my life that needs to move. It's me. The word doesn't change. The Lord doesn't change. Jesus Christ, you know it, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's our signal verse as the Foursquare denomination. The International Church of the Foursquare Gospel is the parent church, if you will, the parent denomination of this church. And we are grateful that it's one that partners with other denominations because we recognize the body of Christ is bigger than just us. But that verse, which is for the whole body of Christ, by the way, has special significance in our movement because we recognize that reality, that what Jesus has done in the past is what he's doing today, it's what he's doing in the future. And the way that he called people to live in the past is what he calls us to today. The world changes, but not so much. In my devotions yesterday, I started reading the book of Ecclesiastes, and I was reminded that there's nothing new under the sun. That no matter what you think about what we're going through right now, and how much you and I may feel that nobody's ever had to go through anything like this before, the reality is that, yes, millions have lived through times like this before. And though you and I don't remember their names, and they're long forgotten on the face of the earth, they're not forgotten in the mind of God. And in fact, everything that you're going through today, someone else has gone through it before, really. You're not alone in your experience. In fact, the blessing of Jesus Christ's testimony is he himself has experienced what you and I experienced. 
You struggle with temptation? Jesus himself was tempted in all things, just like we are. And though he didn't sin, he knows what it's like to be tempted. Do you struggle with feelings of loneliness? Jesus knows what it is to be alone. Jesus, who hung on that tree, who hung on that cross, and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that your cry today? It was Jesus's before it was yours. And if you'll hear him crying it, you'll also hear him crying for you, that he experienced it for you, for me, so that you and I, in him, could experience oneness with God, our lives could be brought into an alignment with God by which the blessings of a safe haven in God and a sure passage is made known to us and we grow in it. I mentioned Caleb because we are in the book of Joshua. We're a Joshua generation. We're people living according to the the ancient promise of the Lord in the present problems and challenges of our world. And that, I think, makes us a Joshua generation. Now, Caleb and Joshua were two of a kind, if you will. They were the same age, and they were both leaders in the days of Moses, and they were among the 12, the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land. So when Moses and the Israelites had been delivered out of slavery in Egypt, and they had been brought into the wilderness and were on the pathway to go into the promised land, which really is about being in the kingdom of God. It's about entering into the presence of God and the fullness of his promises. They were on that pathway. Unfortunately, only Caleb and Joshua were really willing to believe what the Lord promised which was as they went into the land and saw that there were giants there, saw that there were adversaries and enemies there, nevertheless, what the Lord had said to them was, not that there are no problems, not that there are no giants, but that there is a bigger, greater God who's made a promise, and he will be with you. Fear not, I'm with you. That's not just the promise of the book of Joshua, it's the promise of God throughout all the book of his testimony, throughout all the word of his life. He says to any who will align themselves with him, I am with you. Joshua and Caleb believed it, but the other ten spies didn't. And because of that, Israel lost the path, if you will. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until all that generation, even Moses, passed away. And then there was a new generation, a generation in which Moses' lieutenant, Joshua, and his compatriot, his colleague, Caleb, would be leaders among the people, and the people would go into the promised land. And once again, God made the command, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Not don't be afraid because there's no problems. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Hear that command today. Don't be afraid, says the Lord. Not because COVID is not fearful, not because society is not problematic, not because everything is rosy in the immediate future, but because I'm with you, because I am says the Lord, and I am a rewarder of any who will diligently seek me and desire to be aligned with my life. If you will align yourself with my covenant, says the Lord, I will guide you into my promise. You will receive the inheritance that I am promising to you. And your part is to believe that. That's what obedience is. Believe what I say and then act upon it. Live your life as though what I'm saying is true. And there'll be a covering that comes from that. A covering that allows you to conquer, to overcome all the opposition that you will face by faith 
in me. That's the overarching message of the book of Joshua. And in this second uh, sequence of the Joshua Generation series that we are concluding this year, that we began last year, we're in the second half of the book, chapters 13 to 24, which, as I mentioned, are primarily about the division of the land, the, the promised land being parceled out to the people of God. But there are some anecdotal events in this, and one of them comes in Joshua chapter 14. Follow along with me, will you, as I read today's passage. Now, the people of Judah, that's one of the 12 tribes, and it happens to be the tribe of which Caleb is a member, came to Joshua, the national leader at that time, at a city called Gilgal, which was essentially a kind of proxy capital in the nation. This was before Jerusalem was established as the national capital, and Gilgal was um, something of a, 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 a capital of this confederacy of tribes in ancient Israel at that time. And so the entire tribe that Caleb is a part of is coming they are standing with their elder and their leader, and they are also part of this appeal. They are, they are giving confirmation to his request. And Caleb says, You know, Joshua, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses sent us to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. In other words, I brought back the report that the land was fruitful, and desirable, filled with challenges and obstacles and giants and, uh, and, and enemies, but also that we would surely be able to conquer it in the Lord. But my fellow Israelites, listen now, my countrymen who went up with me, those other 10, they didn't believe that. And not only did they not believe it, but they encouraged disbelief among the rest of the people. Look what the passage says. They made the hearts of the people melt in fear. The Hebrew term there actually refers to dissolving or disintegrating. Disintegrating. You know what that word means? If something is integrated, it means that disparate, separate parts are aligned and made together as one. But if you dissolve that alignment, it means that you're disintegrating, you're breaking that alignment apart. And the more that it's broken apart, the less is there. And it eventually dissolves away into nothingness. That's what the Hebrew term means when it says that they made the, the heart of the people melt away in fear. It means they spread that doubt and that fear and it became disunity so that the people became disintegrated. Not only with one another, but with the Lord. That's disobedience. It dissolves the blessing. It it. It's not that it dissolves God. It dissolves our union with him. And it can dissolve our union with one another. That kind of discord is what Caleb is talking about right now. And it had an effect on the entire nation. Nevertheless, within himself, and even among he and Joshua, there remained that continuity of integration with God. Even though all the other people didn't believe, Caleb and Joshua said, we believe it is along the lines of Joshua's later statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to decide for yourself. You must purpose in your own heart. So on that day, Caleb continues, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. In other words, not only is uh, Moses saying, you're still going to receive the blessing of your obedience, but in the same way that those who disobeyed God spread 
the, the, the disaster of that disobedience, this one who obeyed God in belief will spread the blessing of obedience so that it will continue beyond you. It has an effect beyond you. And Caleb now speaks faithfully about what God has done. Even though the rest of that generation was dissolved away, they died. Caleb says, 45 years have passed and I'm still here. And all through the wilderness, I survived. I stayed on the path, even when I couldn't see anymore where we came from. And even though I couldn't see where we were going, I heard the word of the Lord and believed. And I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle today as I was then. How about that at 85 years old? I spoke to a friend of mine who is 80 years old, and she was talking about how she was saying to the Lord, well, I'm 80, and you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's time to sort of throw in the towel, so to speak. She didn't really think that, but she was feeling it that day. And the Lord reminded her, you're not 80, you're eternal. And what the Lord means by that, I dare to say, is not that none of us age or that we don't die, but that rather we have an eternal promise in the Lord that is already alive today. And it's in that that we live. And it's from him that we derive our strength because it's in him that we live and breathe and have our being so that you and I at whatever age, in whatever circumstance can say, no matter what my outer body is like, inwardly I am strong and more than a conqueror through him who loves me. So then Caleb is bold to say, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. I'm calling it in. I'm bringing in my ticket and saying, now is the time the Lord promised. You yourself, he says, heard that there were the Anakites there and the cities were large and fortified. But I'm not afraid today, just like I wasn't afraid 45 years ago. I will face that because the Lord is with me and he will help me. So let me enter into the promise of what God has put before me. And indeed, Joshua said yes, because God said yes, because God had already promised and because Caleb had believed. And so Hebron has belonged to Caleb and his descendants ever since, says the ancient writer of, of Joshua. So even past the time of Joshua and Caleb, the editor that is uh, um, bringing this text to the next generation says, it's still the case. And why? Because Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly with all of his heart. Now look, the concluding statement of the chapter is, the land had rest from the war. I think there is something of a, of a, uh, a foreshadowing of the sentiment that we find in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will turn from wicked ways and repent of wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear and I will heal the land and my blessing will be upon my people. It's a reminder to us of what we learned in the early part of Joshua, which is we are called to enter into these things together. And the action of one person affects all people. The 10 who didn't believe their disbelief was the disobedience that disintegrated the people of God. But the two that did believe, their belief was faith in God, the God who sustained them through another 45 years, not easy years, and, and then allowed them to enter into the promise, and not just them, but the whole new Joshua generation with them. So the blessings of obedience are not just 
um, <laughs> frosting on the cake. There's challenge involved in obedience, and that is part of the blessing. Let me show you as we come to the concluding section of today's message. By the way, we are going to culminate our message today by partaking in this covenant cup. And if you have the makings of communion in your home, then I invite you to find a cracker, a piece of bread, a cup of juice by which you can participate in communion. Pray over it. Believe that the Lord honors your intent to participate in his table. And I, I assure you that it is the Lord who consecrates his table and your prayer will be heard and answered. If you don't have the elements with you, that's okay. You can participate just through prayer. But if you've got something that can approximate uh, the, the wine and the bread of communion, then you may want to grab that in the next moments as we prepare. The blessings of obedience include the promise upon which all of this is predicated upon. In other words, God says, I will bless those who obey. And the promise is actually from God that he will enable us to obey if we want to. In other words, if we desire to obey God, he himself will be present to enable us to walk in that obedience. As we do so, we will encounter struggles. And that is because, as Jesus himself said, the spirit is willing, but this flesh is weak. And so we do grapple and struggle. And there are trials and temptations and challenges. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ron Younger spoke on James chapter 1 and reminded us that we are to count it all joy whenever we face those kinds of trials because those trials are actually helping us to follow along the path if we rely upon the Lord. Even as James said, you turn to the Lord in those times of need and the Lord is faithful to, to supply. But only if you ask believing that you'll receive. If you ask things from God and you have no belief in him or no expectation that you'll receive them, then you should have no uh, expectation that you will receive them because in fact it is your faith by which God blesses you. Otherwise, you're just a wave in the wind being tossed in the storm. But if you're going to be on the path, you need to ask the Lord for his will and his ways and trust him to show you. And then he will give you not only the strength to overcome those challenges and the grace to move forward when you fail, but also the victory to ultimately enter the promise. That's the prophecy of the Lord. Again and again and again, he says, anyone who puts their trust in me will not be disappointed. It's not that you won't face trials. It's not that you won't face enemies. It's that if you trust me to enable you to overcome, I will sustain you. I will reward you. And the reward will be me, myself, says the Lord, my presence with you. Obedience said the prophet Samuel to the disobedient king Saul, is better than sacrifice. I'm not going to take the time to go over all the verses that we have today, but these teaching slides will be available later today on our website, and I encourage you to download them as a PDF from our website. Just go to uh, the main page and click on the sermon link, or you can click on the events uh, tab in the top part of our menu, and you'll be able to download these, uh, these slides later, and you can use them as a reference. Many times in scripture, what the Lord actually says is, I'm not looking for people who are just going to carry out religious rituals. I'm looking for people who desire to be aligned with me in their heart. You can carry out all the rituals and not be aligned with God. Now, I'm not saying that rituals don't matter. What I'm saying is, it is out of the heart that the issues of life flow. 
So it's not the ritual, but the heart that is what God looks upon. And yet a heart that is aligned with him will also align with his ways and the things that he calls us to do. So, for instance, when he says, whenever you partake of this bread and this cup, do it in remembrance of me, that's not merely a ritual, but an actual sacrament. It becomes an avenue by which God's presence and promise is actualized in our lives as we believe him simply for what he has said and what he has done. That kind of belief is real obedience, and the Lord says that is real worship. That's what real love of me looks like. The book of Proverbs says that that is the heart that ultimately will be aligned with goodness and righteousness because it will be aligned with the Lord. And that's better than sacrificing animals. That's better than just carrying the title of Christian or entering into the building of church. That's what it means to really be the church. But it does involve facing challenges. And sometimes those challenges seem to come from the church. Think about Caleb and Joshua. The resistance they faced when they went into the land and believed the word of the Lord came from their own countrymen. There was disintegration and discord and disunity all around them. And you and I are experiencing some of those things, maybe even right now. And I don't just mean here nationally in what's going on. It may be that you're experiencing those things in terms of your marriage or your workplace or your relationship with parents or children. And it's not always other people either. You may be facing the internal challenges of depression or discouragement. Maybe there's an addiction that you struggle with. Maybe there's a certain pattern of behavior that you really want to leave behind, but you find yourself falling into it again and again, and you don't understand why. Maybe there are things that you are struggling to hold on to because they're promises from the Lord, but you don't see them materializing. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that the path the Lord seems to have you on is going in the opposite direction of the place of promise. Whatever your present trial is, the scripture says, if you'll trust in the Lord, then you'll see that there is something profoundly blessed about that. Because as you face those trials, like James said, you will also, if you look to the Lord, be strengthened in them. We want God to take the trials away. God wants to make us stronger through the trials. Maybe like the boy, we'd rather just stay at home with dad. But our father says, I want you to grow up. I want you to be able to do more than you could do before. Go further than you went before. And in fact, I am always with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I want to make you strong and not just safe. So count it joy when God disciplines you if you failed. Because it means he loves you and wants to get you back on path. Don't resist it. If God is saying to you what you're doing is wrong and you need to stop, don't put a deaf ear to that. Rejoice in that. Hallelujah. God loves me enough to care that I'm sinning. God loves me enough to care that I'm going in the wrong direction and loves me too much to let me keep going. Count that a joy. If you're facing persecution from others and you're facing it simply because you've heard from the Lord and are believing him and it aligns with the word, it aligns with the spirit, it aligns with the testimony of his body, then don't be discouraged in that because you will be covered in blessing even if those on your right and your left falter in their disintegration, in their discord and disunity. We don't desire to see that and we pray and intercede. That's part of our privilege and blessing as people of obedience. But it also means that we know that no matter what, if our trust is in the Lord, the Lord will reward those who trust in him. 
And there will be strength in that. Strength in the midst of the storm. Faith that flows from the throne of God. What is it to do the will of God? Is it to obey every letter of his law? Well, in a sense it is. But Jesus himself said, when the people asked him, well, how do we do that? How do we do the works that God wants us to do? Jesus said, this is what he wants you to do. Believe. Believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, believe in me. But it doesn't mean just believe in the sense of saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I believe he forgives. It means live your life on that belief. Follow him. Take a risk. Sacrifice other things. So that you have all your eggs in one basket, and that's the basket of Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and act on that. How is it that you can believe? You have to hear. What is it that you have to hear? The word of God. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is the word about Christ. And the word of Christ says this, it's God who saves. That's what the name Jesus Christ literally means, the Messiah anointed Savior from God. Jesus means Yahweh saves. We don't save ourselves. Our actions can't save ourselves. But we believe when God says, if you trust in me, I will save you. And in fact, those who thought they knew the word and thought they knew the Lord but didn't recognize the Christ, they didn't obey, even though they thought their entire lives were marked by obedience. In fact, in their heart, they didn't believe. But the prophet Isaiah, as Paul quotes in the book of Romans, also said, there are those who weren't even looking for me, but I showed myself to them. In other words, we are always dependent upon God to show us the way. So what are the problems of obedience? Gather your cup and your bread with you because we're going to face the problems that we all face with the cup of the promise that we all have in the Lord. Simply, we have all disobeyed in the past. That's true, right? Raise your hand if you've disobeyed God. I mean it. Raise your hand. Acknowledge it. I have, and you have. We all have. And that's part of obedience, not the disobedience, the acknowledgement. It's being honest with God and ourselves. God already knows, and God knows we know. But we still try and cover and hide that. Don't. But it's a problem. What am I going to do about that? This cup answers that problem. But there's more problems. You might say, well, I used to disobey, but now I've come to know the Lord and, and I never disobey anymore. But even John says in his letter to the church, if we say that we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. That's not saying that we're all living a life of sin habitually. It means that even now, you and I experience this. We struggle to obey. There are times when God says to us to do something and we don't want to do it. There are times when we read things in the word and we think, I don't want to believe that or I don't like that or I don't want to follow that or not me, not now. Forgive that person? I can't. Stop doing that? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Believe that? That particular statement? That seems so antiquated. Believe that God did things that, that, that are impossible to conceive? That there, there were really people like Noah and Joshua? That, that, that there were really moments where water turned into wine or rivers were parted or seas were parted? Believe that? How can I? I don't want to believe that. I, I, I reject that. Or there are times where we want to obey. I really want to follow. I really want to do. But like Paul says in uh, the Second uh, Corinthians, or excuse me, in Romans chapter seven, 
I, I don't do what I intend to do, and I do do what I don't intend to do, that's the struggles, those kinds of struggles we can all relate to. And then maybe looking to the future, we think, you know, no matter what I say today, the reality is, knowing my track record, I'm going to falter tomorrow. These are the problems of obedience, really. Because what am I going to do about these? About my past mistakes, about my present struggles and, and ineffectiveness, about my fear about the future. One way would be to say, you know what, I guess it just doesn't matter. It's okay to disobey. It's an easy kind of grace. I disobey, but this cleans it all away. But the scriptures themselves, even Paul says, this message is not so that you and I would go out and sin more. And that completely misunderstands what the blessing is. The blessing is the alignment. The blessing is being one with God. The blessing is his presence. So if I submit myself to sin, I'm disaligning myself from God. It doesn't change who he is, but it changes everything about me. It disintegrates me. It's death. Now, how is that a blessing? So it's not okay to disobey. But I can't seem to get it right all the time. And if the word is telling me that even one wrong is equal to everything wrong, and that is essentially the message of the word, then all I can say is, I give up. It's wrong, but I can't help it. And I just feel miserable. But I'll whip myself emotionally about it all the time. I'll hide it so that nobody knows, or I'll talk about it all the time, but I'll never get over it. But the problem is, that isn't any more aligned with God. It's just falling off the path in the other direction. That's not going to help. All right, then. I will obey this. I'll do it all. I'll be living righteously. I'll pray. I'll pray longer. I'll do more. I'll take the communion. I'll go to church. I'll give more. But all of it is just pure Pharisaism. It's just like what the, what the Pharisees of old did. Follow every bit of it. They ended up making up more rules to try and get themselves back on the path. But the point was they weren't trusting in God. They were looking to themselves. They thought they were looking to God, but they were trying to achieve it through their own efforts. It doesn't work. There's only one way to trust and obey, and that is to say, I belong to God. I can't make myself righteous. I can't even make myself right. But I can desire to be right with God. In my heart, I can say, I want to follow you. Or at least you can say, I want to want to follow you. Or maybe you have to pray, I want to want to want to follow you. If you know the story, it's turtles all the way down. But here's the thing. Each one of those prayers is a legitimate prayer. I don't care how many wants you have to string along that to where you're at today. I don't want to follow him, but I don't even want to want to follow him. I don't even want to want to follow him. Maybe I can want to want to want. Okay, I'm making a joke. But you get my point? It's one step. What's that old adage? The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. It's turning to God. That's obedience. It's just saying, I, I acknowledge you, and I acknowledge my need every day, and I want to live in you. I want to live for you. It's the worship song that we sang today that said, I want to be consumed with you. That's a sacrifice. That's the holocaustos is the Greek term for the ancient sacrifice of flame, every bit burned, except that we're a living sacrifice. So it means every bit given over to the flame of the Spirit to live for the Lord. 
And what the Lord has said is, I promise that every heart that turns to me in that way, a heart that could never turn to me unless I had made the invitation, a heart that could never find me unless I had made the sacrifice, nevertheless, every heart that turns to me like that will receive the reward of righteousness, and I will not violate my covenant, says the Lord. Don't you know, says Paul in Romans 6, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're the slave of whoever you offer yourself to. So if you offer yourself to sin, you're going to be a slave to sin, and the reward is death. But if you offer yourself to the Lord, the reward is righteousness. And what is righteousness? To be aligned with God. In other words, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We hear that as a warning. In other words, if you don't keep my commands, you don't really love me. And in fact, Jesus does make that kind of a statement. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, to me is really my follower, but only those who do the will of my Father. But what Jesus is saying is, if you love me, this promise is yours. You will be able to keep my commands. You will be able to keep my commands. And what is his command? To believe in him. So that when you fail the commands, as you and I do, then still you will trust in his blood to cover you. You will trust in his provision to sustain you. You will trust in his grace. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And that could be seen also in the story of Joshua 14. Ten spies spoiled the land for the whole nation. But two men believed. And one of those is the one we're talking about today. By the one man's obedience, his whole line was blessed. And that was the line of Judah. And I'm glad that they were blessed because... In that house, the Messiah was born, so that by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus, who hung on the tree to be the sign for us, who bled the blood and gave the body that makes for us this covenant cup promise that we can be forgiven, that we can be made right, by his righteousness, we are made righteous. And when we fail, as we do fail, his grace is sufficient for us. Because his power is made perfect in weakness. Experience the blessing of weakness today. Take this bread of the Lord's body. On the night that he was betrayed and before he was sacrificed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks to the Father and breaking it, he shared it with his followers and said that this bread is his body, which is broken for us. Are you broken today? Maybe you're physically ill. Maybe you're emotionally distressed. Maybe you're spiritually broken. Maybe you're broken by sin, by some constraint, some failure. Maybe you're broken by someone who sinned against you, and you're held bondage by the unforgiveness that you have towards them. Completely understandable. What they did was wrong. You have every right to be grieved, but you also recognize that there's no life in that. There's no health for you. Your anger or your resentment or your pain or your shame is holding you hostage. Maybe your sin. Jesus broke all of that when his body was broken for us. Those bonds are broken. You say, I don't believe it. Then you won't experience it. You say, I can't see it. You can still believe it. I don't feel it, believe it. And that's obedience. Want to believe. Ask God to help you to believe. 
And as you receive this bread, ask God to make you aware that you are receiving him. Strength in his body as his body. No matter who you are, you're invited to partake of this bread because his body was given for you. Lord, we receive your body and the strength that comes to us from your word. Now take your cup. On that same night, he lifted the cup and having given thanks, he declared that this cup is the cup of his blood a cup of a new covenant. It's not new in the sense that God changed his plan. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's new in that the cup was being extended to them. In fact, it's new to you and I today because it's being extended to us today. Have you sinned in the past? So have I. Do you struggle with sin now? So do I. Are you concerned that that struggle is going to continue? Well, let me tell you, as long as you and I are living in the flesh, we're going to have to struggle in the flesh. But this cup allows us to count it joy because this cup cleanses us from all our sin. You say, I can't believe that. Then you won't be able to receive it. But if you'll believe it, even if it seems impossible, all things are possible for the one who believes. The Lord loves you. The Lord redeems you. The Lord has shed his blood for you and has a promise that he will enable you to obey and lead you into the harbor of his heavenly presence. Lord, we receive this cup of your blood today. And we pray, Lord, will you repeat this after me? Lord Jesus, I confess my sin. I ask that you would Cleanse me from all my sin. I trust you and your sufficient grace. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live obedient to the will of the Father and to the ways of God. In Jesus' name. I tell you, no one who has prayed that prayer and drunk of that cup will not see all the reward of what God has promised. This is the good news. Your sins are forgiven and the spirit of the Lord is with you always. Hallelujah. I want to thank you for being with us today for today's service. I invite you to participate with us in our midweek prayer gathering via Zoom this coming Wednesday night at 7 p.m. You can log on to mypcf.org on our events page and find more information about that. Uh, we also have upcoming, uh, for the youth of our congregation, a virtual camp experience, and um, you can uh, find out more information about that uh, from the church or from uh, contacting uh, Pastor Ron and uh, Jopin, and they will have details. I think most of our youth already have uh, details about that, and we encourage you to participate. I look forward to being with PSOM class members this afternoon. And for all of us here present or seeing this message at some point in the future, may the grace and the peace and the blessing of God and the ability to believe and obey be yours in abundance today and always, giving you strength 
for every challenge and hope for tomorrow in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Go and be blessed.